We're all good this morning? Yeah? Armadale, top of 18 degrees. Turning it on. How good's that? There's a vibe in town. 18 degrees, nice and warm and sunny. Last time I was in Armadale, it was a top of eight. And I was here for a workers' compensation seminar. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up for today to be better than that day, I reckon. No one's ever said they've had a great day because it was a top of eight degrees and they attended a workers' compensation seminar. But we're here, 18, we're in church, it's Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, it's going to be good. Can you guys see me over this? Good? It's transparent. Anyway, not that big. Uh, so who's been enjoying the Ephesians spiritual growth campaign? Who's been following through that? Who just actually hasn't been following through but just likes Ephesians? It's a good book. It's a great book. It's a powerful book um, written by Paul when he was in prison. So that's pretty cool. But we're going to finish it off today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fly through Ephesians 5 and 6, two chapters. So there's some heavy stuff in there. So you need to go with me. But you're all intelligent, aren't you? Because you're from Armadale. You've got a university in your town. You're all very intelligent. Chapters 5 and 6. Now, we're going to get a bit heavy, okay? So you're just going to have to ride with me. And if I upset anyone with what I say, or it's a bit confusing is what, and what we're touching on, then just have your text messages preloaded. And uh, Josh will help me answer some questions afterwards, hey? How about that? All right, so... Here's what's going on in Ephesians. Ephesians is all about anybody living a powerful life for Jesus. You get the Spirit of God inside of you, no matter what your background, no matter what your past, no matter what you're dealing with, the Spirit of God comes over you and you can live a powerful life. It's about um, a a people, the Ephesian people, were part of a society that was um, really mystical and magical and they had a lot of spiritual activity happening in Ephesus. It was a a trade port, it was a a hub for that Asia Minor area. It was um, highly hostile, there was a lot of hostility. Um, It was highly commercialised, so there was a little bit of money there as well. It was multicultural and it was multi-faith. It was a very varied kind of area. And so Paul writes the letter to the Ephesian church and he just really prompts them to stand up for their faith, to stand firm in their beliefs and to just stand out, to be a really good example for the people in Ephesus that weren't ready or weren't, uh, weren't really knowing Jesus at that time. So, this is how Ephesians 5 and 6 look. We're going to look at the way this message of living powerfully bookends some pretty heavy stuff in the middle. So, we're going to go through living in the Spirit's power. That's how Ephesians 5 starts. And then we get into some stuff about wives and husbands. Then we get into children and parents. Then we get into slaves and masters. And I'll explain that terminology shortly. And then we're going to get into the armour of God. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles open, Ephesians 5, we're going to go start into that now. And I'm just going to pull some bits out of each of these categories in that, uh, in that section of Scripture. So Ephesians 5 from verse 15 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Thank you. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to ask what the purpose of life is? It's exactly that, to be in relationship with Jesus, to praise his name, to receive his love and to give love back to him. That's how we're wired to relate to him. That's how we're wired in being human. When we submit ourselves to Christ and allow his love to transform us, then we allow him to convict us and deal with our sin. It gets rid of it by us submitting to him. And so we become closer when we do these things in verses 19 and 20. Stirring up the spirit in us or allowing the Holy Spirit to just kind of take over or submitting to the Holy Spirit, to use other language, allows us to do this, to live a wise life, to think properly and coherently and then to cascade that down into our relationships, our marriage, our parenting, our workplace or school and then towards the greater community. 1 John 4.19 says this, we love each other because he, Jesus, loved us first. And so this passage is just an invitation to live powerfully. It's a way of saying, hey, you can have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And once that Holy Spirit comes into you, you live in a way that is, that is promoted by and pushed forward by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God power just takes over you and you're able to deal with sin, to put it at the foot of the cross of Jesus and then to move powerfully into spiritual warfare. And that's what Paul is writing about to the Ephesians. It was a highly mystical place, highly magical place. There was a lot of spiritual activity. And so he's saying, pick up your sword and fight. And the sword of the spirit is the best way to do that. So, and he's, he's actually um, saying to, not just to flee from the deeds of darkness and flee from evil, but actually turn around and confront it. He's actually saying fight against it. Stand up for God. Stand up for justice. Stand up for holy living. Don't just run away from it, which is, which is a really good a bit of advice, really good thing to do to run away from sin. But at some stage when you feel the power of the Holy Spirit come over you, you're actually to turn and fight, to actually promote, to protect the people around you from the deeds of darkness and the evils of this world. It takes maturity in your Christian ways, a Christian life to confront and to fight for the right way of living. So step one in how to live a Christian life is to actually push into Jesus, to actually uh, engage with the Spirit of God and to allow the fruits of the Spirit to come over you and to, to drive the way you live your life. And so as we go through the next parts of Ephesians 5 and 6, we need to just jump back to where we are at um, here in terms of understanding how the Spirit of God helps us relate to different people in these relationships. Okay, so just go with me here. We're going to get into husbands and wives. Buckle up, all right? <laughs> Buckle up. This gets important, really important. And so I just urge you to listen to the scriptures 
and then to think and then to, to hear what I have to say about this. <clears throat> 21, this is chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's very simple. 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So our cultural paradigm here in Australia is one of equality of the genders. So as we're coming to read this passage, it doesn't quite fit with our cultural paradigm of equality of genders. And, and, and equality is all well and good and we should celebrate that. But the culture that this book was written to, the people of Ephesus 2,000 years ago, was actually the other end of the authority spectrum. So their culture understood the rank and file of authority. It was a highly militaristic, I think I've said that right, militaristic um, society. So there was the Roman Empire, there was governments, there was local leaders, there was tribal elders, and, in, and if you were religious, there was religious leaders. And so if you think of authority like a ladder, whereby the most important people are at top, Everyone is somewhere on this authority ladder and you submit upwards. So that's their cultural paradigm. Now Paul writes this passage of scripture and he teaches them to submit to one another. So when you're submitting to someone on this ladder of authority, you're submitting upwards. You're giving respect, honour and authority. But he's actually saying, no, 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 no. With Jesus, we submit, but we actually submit downwards as well. You can keep submitting to the rulers and, and the authorities above you, but also think about the people beneath you. Because they're submitting up to you, you need to think about them. You don't just receive reverence from them. You actually love them. You get down on their level. And so as he's trying to paint this picture of authority about husbands and wives and, and, and children and slaves and masters and employees and all of that, he's actually saying, think about the people that are socially beneath you. And so now I am definitely not saying that wives are beneath husbands. I'm definitely not saying that. Um, but I'm talking about honour. And so these husbands in Ephesus were going, oh, okay, so I'm not just receiving honour. I'm actually loving my wife. We're just kind of inverting this ladder of authority, which is really cool. And so it's actually counterintuitive and it's very revolutionary for Paul to be writing this. And it would have been a common attitude in the Greco-Roman world. So for Paul to write to love your wife, this is actually quite freeing and liberating. So we as Aussies, 2,000 years later, see wives submit to your husbands and go, oh, that's a bit binding, isn't it? But no, Paul was actually writing to say, no, this is freeing. If wives are loved by their, uh, by their wife, husbands, hang on, rewind. If wives are loved by their husbands, then that's actually their needs taken care of. And so, but in our era, people have read this passage and thought, you beauty, Husbands get to do what they want and wives have to do what they're told. And that is absolutely not the case. And this scripture has been used by bullies 
to strong-arm people into submitting in wrong ways in marriage. It's been very harmful. I'm going to be pastoral for a moment, which means I'm going to be firm. I'm going to say that if anyone has ever used this scripture or like scriptures to strong-arm their spouse into doing something that their spouse doesn't want to do, then that's something that needs to be repented of. It really needs to be repented of because that's not the spirit of this scripture. The spirit of this scripture is about loving and honouring and respecting and uplifting. Yeah, so we at the chapel, Armadale City Church, Pentecostalism, we believe in what's called mutual submission. So that means that marriages are better off when spouses serve one another. We look after the emotional needs of one another. I've been married for 12 years um, to my wife. Obviously, I didn't need to finish the sentence that way. (laughs) That made sense before I finished that, that way. But she should have the confidence that I have the best interests, uh, her best interests at heart. She should have the confidence to know that I pray for her, that I speak highly of her when around other people, that I'm thinking about what she needs, that I only have eyes for her. Come on, guys. Yeah? All right. I said it's going to be hot today. It's more than 18 degrees in here. We're preaching some, some controversial stuff. She needs to know that I am going to encourage her in her relationship with Jesus. And I need the same from her. Mutual submission. I submit to her. She submits to me. We submit to God. That's how it works. There's a little bit of a free marriage tip for you. I'm happy to take uh, donations for that advice any time. But she knows that if I'm loving her and endeavouring to take care of her needs, that she'll reciprocate those actions. And then that's, that's how we don't need to self-serve, but we self-serve each other. Marriages that, that are built on self-service, they're not thriving under Jesus. Yeah? All right. Now, I understand that there's many uh, cultures. I understand there's many backgrounds represented here today, many demographics of age. And so there's many religious backgrounds and different views. Um, people have come from different countries and cultures, and that's fine. And so you might have come from more of a a complementarian approach or a more traditional approach, uh, and that's totally fine too. I think there's this scripture allows for room and movement for those kind of beliefs to to flow into this this scripture as well. I I, I believe that um, if we just take this fundamental, that if we both love Jesus first and we love each other, then things are going to be okay. And I don't mean to simplify things, um, but I, I feel that that works. And 12 years down the track, uh, I, I think that we're, we're doing okay, my wife and I. Now, your spouse cannot fully uh, fulfil your spiritual needs. That's not the role of your spouse. That is between an individual and Jesus. And that's why this passage starts with submitting to Jesus. That's priority number one. So you can facilitate your spouse's spiritual needs, but you can't fulfil them. You can get them to church, you can encourage, you can ask what God's doing in their life, but you cannot fulfil their spiritual needs. The painful consequences of not getting this right and allowing our sin to remain a habit or pattern is that the consequence deeply hurts the ones closest to us. And so we need to get our priorities right 
under Jesus. Had a had a, a really cool but weird experience this week. So I, I work in our Tamworth location and there was a guy that came in on Tuesday and he said, I need to talk to a pastor. And just that sentence just kind of locks me up in fear. I'm like, what is, where is this conversation going to go? And he said, um, I want to propose to my fiance. And she goes to this church. Now, this guy is kind of working into faith here. He knows that there's something, but he's, he's going to marry this great girl who is part of our church. And that's a whole separate conversation uh, for a, another sermon. But anyway, he comes to me and he says, I want to I propose to her in the church. And I said, why? He said, because I understand the significance of Jesus in her life and I want that significance in my life and I thought well what's romantic and what what sets the tone for our relationship well why don't I just propose in a church because it's a really spiritual place and it's a significant place and so I thought okay that's that's fair enough and then he said I want to make sure that our marriage gets off on the right foot and I think that that's um, and I think that requires Jesus and so I want to start our engagement here in this church and so he I said okay cool all right well um you know we can do some marriage prep and uh, I can talk to you about you know faith and the gospel and and how to be a Christian husband and we can do that over the next couple of weeks um before you get before you get engaged so when are you thinking of popping the question he said tomorrow I went oh all right mate come right in <laughs> And he did. She said, yes, it was fantastic. But, but just, that, just that thought process of, I, I know that there's some significance here. And he, didn't, he, didn't, he couldn't articulate this. He couldn't articulate this um, value of Jesus in, her, in their marriage. But he knew that there was something there. Like, we're wired for this. And that just proves it. This, this guy that's a, a pre-Christian or an early Christian, I, I don't know the terminology there because I don't know where he's at, but he actually identified that, yeah, I need to get this right because if I want this to work and I want her in my life for the, the rest of my days, I need to put Jesus in there somewhere. So I'm going to put him at the start. Oh, how cool is that? Yeah. All right. Children and parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. We'll just give a moment for parents to nudge their teenagers as they listen to that. Father's Day coming up in a few weeks. Verse 4, fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. I'll just give a moment for the teenagers to nudge their parents. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So that's fairly straightforward, isn't it? The system works when the top takes responsibility. Not control, responsibility. There's a difference. Parents need to take control sometimes, but they need to take responsibility all of the time. Control has some yucky connotations. Removing freedoms, um, being overbearing. But we're talking about parental responsibility. Now, you might see a flow here through this passage, is that when we submit to Christ, when we are fulfilled spiritually because we're walking with Christ, we can cascade that down into our marriage. We make our marriages strong. We can cascade that down into our parenting. We make our family units strong. 
then we're going to get to employment just in a moment. But par- so I want to I want to tell you a story because it proves how we're wired to receive authority from parents and Christ. A couple of weeks ago, um, I was trying to get my four-year-old ready for daycare. Now, my four-year-old um, is a sweet little boy, but he is really cheeky um, and often defiant, So, which is fine. It's great. It gives me headaches and sermon material. Um, so a couple, of, a couple of moments in that morning, we're, we're getting ready for daycare, and I'm reminding him about getting ready for daycare. Now, daycare isn't his favourite day of the week. He prefers daddy days and, and nana and pa days and mummy days and family days, but he likes daycare. He likes daycare, but it's not his favourite day of the week. And so I reckon it was about four attempts of saying, come on, mate, you've got to get ready for daycare. I've got your clothes here. Come on, take your jammies off, put your clothes on. We're going to get ready for daycare. And he's like, no, no, I don't want to go to daycare. I don't want to go to daycare. And, and then I said, mate, you've got to do it now. And then he just looked at me really, like, indignantly. And he said, yeah, but did God tell you I have to go to daycare today? <laughs> and I, I didn't know what to say then. I didn't want to lie because God didn't tell me. But I said, no, he didn't tell me that you have to go to daycare, but he doesn't tell me every day to go and pick you up from daycare, but I do that anyway. He's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) But at four years old, he's got this understanding of rank and file and authority, spiritually speaking. And so he wants to know that my ways are right because I've got those ways from God. And so this works, this parenting caper works when we're submitted to God, when we're able to get his wisdom and push that into our parenting. This parenting takes energy, it takes patience, it takes love, it takes gentleness, it takes peacemaking, it takes self-control. It takes a lot more than that. And there's some of the fruits of the Spirit. So tap into God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 to 17 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and, our, and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal comfort and a wonderful hope, comfort you and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. There's the wellspring for your parenting is in Scripture and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Slaves and masters, Let's get into that. All right. We got through husbands and wives. We got through parenting. Let's get into slaves and masters. Now, let's change the terminology here to paint the picture so that we understand it from our cultural context. Slaves and masters doesn't mean like chains around necks and working in the hot sun while being whipped necessarily. Okay. Now, slavery was a thing back then, but this passage of scripture isn't necessarily talking about that. But it was, it's, it's talking uh, to people in a time before there were union reps and HR departments and employment law and a fair work ombudsman, before any of that. So it's talking about how to govern the employment relationship. And we, we could spend a week going through each of these different relationships, but we don't have the time today. In fact, I'm running out of time right now. Um, We're now into chapter 6, verse 5 onwards. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, 
just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from our heart, from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. So this doesn't actually advocate for or permit slavery as, as we know it. It just injects love into the workplace. And so if you're a manager or you're a business owner, you need the patience and wisdom of the Lord, don't you? You've got so many issues coming at you every day. You need the patience and the wisdom of the Lord. And that needs to flow through you to your employees. And if you're an employee, you need the peace and comfort to know that your employer or your manager has your best interests at heart. So you don't need an ombudsman, you don't need employment contracts, you don't need any of that if, if underpinned employment relationships are, um, are underpinned by love. Where people are looking after uh, their, their own... <coughs> pardon me... Uh, People are looking after their own people in the workplace. Now, uh, full disclosure, I have a business degree. I have a decade of experience in human resources, so I'm not advocating against that. Um, I, I actually see the benefit. Otherwise, I would have wasted three years and, and uh, of study and 20 grand in hex debt uh, learning about labour law. But um, the, this, this scripture is all we need. If people are, are tapping into the Holy Spirit and understanding their role in society and the wellspring of life... Jesus, the power of Jesus is cascading down through our relationships into, into marriage, into parenting, into the workplace, into our community, then we're more powerful for it and we're a community better off. And the armour of God. Finally, Paul closes off this letter by talking about the armour of God. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, Ephesians mentions a lot about heavenly realms and fighting in heavenly realms and this is what Paul is talking about. So I said at the, at the top of the sermon, these two chapters are bookended by this, this invitation to live powerfully and then we get to hear the armour of God, to actually stand up and fight, to actually stand up and fight for those who, who are more vulnerable, to actually stand up and fight against injustice, to actually stand up and fight against the powers and the principalities of darkness that that influence this world for the worse. And so this is what Paul's saying as he's in prison, in chains, writing to the Ephesian church. He's saying, fight well, fight well, and, and fight so that other people will be encouraged. And so Ephesians is this charge and this reminder that better societies, that stronger communities, that the kingdom of God requires us to take up the sword of the Spirit to go with the shoes of peace and to go in and fight for Jesus, to go into our relationships all filled with the Holy Spirit and to fight for the betterment of that, to actually go, to, to actually put conflict into your marriage, not to get what you want, but to actually elevate the standards of your marriage so you both get better. 
to actually discipline your children so that they get better, so that they understand godly discipline, and for them to actually get a picture of heaven through your parenting. And to push the kingdom into the power into the powers of darkness in your in your employment spheres, your volunteering spheres, your community groups, wherever you might be, your soccer club that you're president of, whatever it is. But it starts with us. It starts with you. And so if each person is on this ladder of authority in society, and we can't get around that, we can't get around social standings because it's human nature to kind of put us into, into a place where we belong. We can't get around that. So we're going to utilise that. We're going to serve people who are socially underneath us to use terminology that our paradigms will understand. But God removes all of that. God removes all of those things and he says, no, all we need is love. All we need is the power of the spirit. All we need is for people just to treat people with dignity, with respect, with honour, with glory. And then we, we actually become a better functioning society because of that. And that's what Paul's writing about to the Ephesians. So honour people above you. Honour people below you. Submit in godly reverence. If Jesus... The, the Prince of Peace, the Lord of all, can come and wash people's feet, then we can do the same. Father God, thank you so much that you just you cultivate our lives in a way where people come in, where relationships are built, where um, we have standing in society, whether that's humble, whether that's impressive, whatever it might be. But we have... We have your direction to be powerful, to live a life full of the Spirit and to bring you honour in all our relationships. And so, Lord, send your Spirit right now so that we can be powerful, be made powerful in those spheres. Help us to be good witnesses for you. We ask this in your mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Awesome. <clears throat> Thanks, brother. That was great. I'm going to grab a seat. Friends, we're going to have a bit of time now. I'm just going to chat, ask some questions, dig a bit deeper. Uh, there's a number up there on, on the screen behind you. If you've got any questions, send them in. <clears throat> yeah, do that. Amen. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. What a great message to wrap up on. Some great practical wisdom there. Thanks for the water table. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, yeah, so we've just got a few questions here, man, just to kick us off. Sure. Um, I've got a question to just kick off. You, I mean, you've been having the series down in, in the chapel as well, yeah? What, what's one, one thing that really stood out to you from Ephesians? Um, it's this sense that everyone can play. So, the start of Ephesians really breaks down this Jew-Gentile kind of paradigm, um, which Paul, you know, really was pivotal in. You know, he was top Jew, and, and he's got this ministry to the Gentiles, and so he goes to what is a largely Gentile place in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, which is the least um, Christianized nation in the world now. To be, to be honest, um, 
and he just breaks it down. So he's a pro Jew, he's professional Jew, like he's a rap, rabbinically trained and um, he just goes, no, that, none of that matters. Mm. Um, and so he's inviting people in to partake in the gospel and, um, you know, there's rich people there, there's mm. mystical people there. Uh, we, we learn in, I think it's Acts 17, there's like some pretty gnarly riots that happen in Ephesus too. So it's just this weird, eclectic area and he just says, no, any, anyone can play in the gospel, in the kingdom of God, in the, yeah. in the mission of Christ. Anyone can play. So, yeah. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's such a beautiful book. Um, I, love, I love how Paul just kind of kicks off the book at the start <clears throat> with his prayers to the church and he's just laying out this foundation for them saying, hey, God's already done all this for you. You don't, you don't need to work. You don't need to, you need, <clears throat> you don't need to strive for God's love because of Christ you you are in the family you are redeemed you are part of God's God's love already and so um, even even the faith that you have is a gift and he is just empowering you to live for him and then he goes to the end he goes okay now that you're part of his family here's some great practical advice to live by yeah so it's just not he just takes all that burden away from having to strive for God's love such a beautiful thing um, all right, so a few other questions. I mean, we, you talked about submitting. What what does submitting to one another look like? Do you got any practical ideas of what that might, might look like? Yeah, I, I think um, it starts off with... Uh, are you talking in marriage context or is it generally oh, well, speaking? Well, that, so the, the, that, that little passage there started with mm. submit to one another. Yeah. Um, so it's talking to everyone. Um, mm. And I think it kind of, I think, I think both. I mean, the way that it talks about husbands and wives, we are both are submitting to each other. But you're right, there is an honour there. There's a responsibility there. It's a little different. But he starts by saying, submit to one another. Yeah. Um, um, submit in this case, I believe, means serve. So, you know, Jesus came to serve. He was, you know, the, the princely servant, wasn't he? So he, he taught this um, leadership through uh, service um, and so we, you know we've already got that the Christian community already has that we understand that when we submit to one another we we serve them um, to put it simply um, oh, you could do a whole spiritual growth campaign on submission couldn't you uh, and that there's a doctrine of submission and, and everything so um, there's that in marriage I, I think it, it's always just asking like when, when you submit, you serve because you want someone to be honoured. You want the best for someone. So when you're when you're um, w- when you're thinking about someone else, I mean, not someone else. When you're thinking about your spouse, not someone else. When you're thinking about your spouse, <laughs> the other person, your marriage is what I mean. Um, you 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 want you want to know their needs, and so you're having constant communication, conversation about. Now, what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I pray for you? How can I uplift you? How can I encourage you? And so there's that. There's a, there's a little bit of submission there. Now, it's not submit. What what submission is not? It's not obeying them. And if you actually read that, reread those chapters again, the wives and uh, and husbands part says, um, you know, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. So they use the word submit. But then in the uh, the children and parents and the slaves and masters it says obey so that's a very different word 
very different word. Um, obey removes a bit of agency there. There's, it removes some freedom. So submission is respecting the other person, wanting the best for them and serving them, but actually uplifting them so that you elevate the standard of your marriage. You're always... So I, I, I kind of said that in the preach, is that if there's any conflict in your marriage, which there will be, that conflict needs to be geared towards how can we do things better? Not you did this wrong. It needs to be how can we do this better? And so you're always elevating principles and standards and you're uplifting each other to God. Yeah, that was a long run-up, I'm sorry. But I hope you got something out of that. Um, you touched on spiritual warfare a little bit there. It's a, it can be a pretty confusing topic, I think, for people to kind of, particularly for new Christians as they come into this space, thinking about um, that, that kind of subject. Is there, uh, are there any good resources or anything that can kind of help us think um, more clearly about that without kind of, um, without it becoming too confusing or too too wild or out there or? Um, yeah, that's the thing, because there, there are some bad resources out there on spiritual warfare or just weird and wacky. Um, I would... I don't know that this is bad theology, but I'm going to say it anyway. So <laughs> go with me here. I don't want to think too much about spiritual warfare. I don't want to go out there and think too much about, oh, are there demons lurking around the shopping centre or what, whatever or in the house? Yeah. I, I don't want to think that way because the scriptures are pretty clear that we are victorious in Christ and there's angels everywhere. And so, and so the battle's already won. And so when we're thinking too much about spiritual warfare, it can actually be demoralising, demeaning, and it decreases our, our power. Often if we're thinking about the war that's going on, if we think about the victory that we have in Christ, if we think about the Holy Spirit power, if we think about angels going before us, then that just changes our mentality. It changes the feel. It changes the cadence of our steps. It just changes everything. And so um, resources... This thing, the Bible, that's the best thing. Um, I don't know if there's any uh, resources in terms of books. I don't know, we don't have a Kurong in Tamworth. Um, so <laughs> you guys have a Kurong here. So go flick through that. But just be careful with what you read. Be careful with what you fill your mind and your, and your spirit with because there is some, there is some junk out there. Yeah. Um, there's some good teaching, but I can't recommend it. No, right. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right, man. I think... <clears throat> It can be difficult when we, when we read about Satan and demons that we can see such a power there and it can make us afraid. Um, but I'm reminded of like in, in Revelation where uh, the Jesus, they, they talk about that battle that Jesus is, about, is preparing for and coming back to wage. And it's, it's almost presented in this way that he kind of, this big climax build up. Oh, but the battle's already won, so don't worry about it. Yeah. It's just like, it's conquered, it's done, it's over. Um, and so you're right, so we, we should be like aware of it, um, but not fearful of it, absolutely. And I think it's good also as well that we, it changes our perspective. I think Dan talked about this, oh, it was probably a few months ago actually, but he's saying like when we think about spiritual warfare, it's good to put our perspective out there because our real enemy is Satan and his followers. It's not other people. Like we, we are living on this world in the trenches, with our unbelieving uh, 
uh, friends and family and they don't know it. And so we shouldn't be hurling mud at them or throwing grenades at them. We're just there alongside them, trying yeah. to point them back to Christ, point them back to what's true. Yeah. And so I think also, like, you know, we're, we're invited to put on the armour of God and, and to go into battle. And so there's something about that that is, like, fun and uplifting in the sense that if you've already won, you fight differently. And if you think you're going to win, you're just going to fight with some freedom there. So, like, don't be scared to actually engage in spiritual battle. Don't be scared to call out Satan. Don't be scared to actually pray that demons will be bound by the power of the Spirit of God. Like, actually engage in that. And don't be scared when that, that something bad happens because um, of demonic oppression or, or, or Satan having an attack but don't overthink it either like just remember that the power of God is in you the power of God goes before you and you will be ultimately victorious um, doesn't mean that you won't come out um, with no wounds or scars but um, just get into it because the kingdom of God needs us in the battlefield Amen. Oh, I think we'll jump on just one last question uh, let's dig it up where I can find it So for someone, someone who's feeling disconnected, unloved, uncared for, feel like they're not part of what's going on at all, um, how, can, how can we encourage them? How can we help them think about it? Particularly from chapter 6 when you were talking about some things there. How can we encourage those people who feel just unloved and uncared for? Yeah, I, I, um, I concede that those... Uh, those passages that we read today can trigger people because you haven't had um, the greatest experience in, in whatever category we, we chose uh, to, to go from today. Um, look, I believe that that doesn't need to be your story. That doesn't need to flow into other relationships. That doesn't need to be... Um, that doesn't need to be passed on elsewhere. I, I believe that God can heal... I believe that um, I believe that we can find fullness in the Spirit of God, um, despite people uh, not relating to us properly or or um, or doing stuff that that should not be have not should have been, should not have been done that was not godly that wasn't instructed by the Scriptures. Um, look, if oh, I don't know the context behind that question, so if that's a pastoral issue, then you're in the best place you can be. Like, you, you're amongst community who love you. You know, we don't just say acts like family, feels like home for no reason. And we do it because it's purpose, it's mission. It's all part of pushing the love of Christ um, into the community and, and, and anyone is welcome here, no matter the hurts, no matter the brokenness, no matter the story. So um, whatever, whatever hurts you drag in here, um, and it, you might have felt like you dragged yourself here to church, that's totally fine. Um, but this is a place of healing. This is a place of restoration. This is a place of friendship. This is a place of building people up. This is a place where you can encounter God. Um, and we just want to promote that freely. Um, and so I don't want to brush over whatever issue has driven that person to text um, that in. Um, but you get you can have pastoral care. I can pray for you. We've got awesome pastoral care people here. So um, they will love on you with the love of God. And that's the only thing that sometimes that can heal that stuff. Thanks, brother. Thanks for those encouraging words today. That's great, friends. We're going to wrap up now. We're going to uh, spend some time uh, with each other, just fellowshipping, just praising God for all that He's done. Uh, can I encourage you?
uh, stick around and and find someone to pray with. Uh, Celebrate the wins that God has done in your life. Uh, Bring out the struggles that he has and just lay them at the feet of Jesus. Uh, We're going to have people over here uh, just after the service to pray with you. Uh, We'd love for you to be part of that. But go outside, grab a cup of coffee, grab a cup of tea and have some great conversations. Uh, Let me pray for us and then 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 let's uh, let's head out. Father, we just think and praise you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Um, Father, as Paul prayed, I pray that you would fill us with your knowledge and your wisdom. I pray that your spirit would just uh, just, just draw out uh, the, the immeasurable riches of grace that you have uh, provided for us in, in Christ. Um, Father, I just pray that we would live by your spirit, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And uh, Father, I just pray that we would seek out and keep running towards that goal of being home with you one day when you return. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, friends.